No, I had a crazy life. I mean, mm-hmm. I really did. I mean, my mom was in the Hell's Angels, and that. Huh. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, really? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I had. I mean, it's uh. Well, she wasn't a Hell's Angel, but she ran with them. Gotcha. And that's where I picked up some of my bad habits with yep. drugs and stuff like that was from my mom, which she's she's been sober for 29 years. Awesome. So, I mean, she's doing really well. Buckle up. You're listening to Terminal Exchange. everyone, I'm Philip Adams, and this is episode 39 of Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Nussbaum Transportation. Today's exchange is with Nussbaum driver Jonathan Rust. Now, it's a little longer than our typical exchange, so I'm going to try to keep this introduction short and just say that I, I really didn't know Jonathan's story prior to inviting him in for this recording. I had talked to him on occasion, but I really had no idea what our conversation would look like for this exchange. And... Getting to sit down with him and have a conversation gives me even greater respect for Jonathan, knowing what he's been through and where he's come from. And if you pay close enough attention, I think there's a sort of running theme throughout this exchange. And I I think it's the idea of there always being a way out or a way through, whether that's in the context of driving or whatever struggles, walls, or chains you're dealing with in life. Look for the out. And here is the way out with Jonathan Rust. Jonathan, you were just telling me that uh, <laughs> with, with having some students and everything, as you get to, as they get to know you uh, in the training process, that they've expressed that you should write a book. And, and just in this short period of time before we've hit, hit the record button, I think I would have to agree uh, that, that that's probably true. Yeah, you, yes. I, I'm, I'm already just in the notes that I took here. I think there's 12 chapters minimum here that you, you could write. So Yes, uh, yes. I, and I know we're, we're going to have probably a variety of different conversations here, uh, highs, lows, and, and everything in between. So I, I want to start off with some easy stuff here and uh, just talk a little bit of your background in – and trucking, how you got to trucking. Okay. Uh, but I want to tell, you know, I want to get that stuff out of the way and then get into some more of, you know, okay. your real story. But you told me that uh, actually, as far as driving, before you even had a license, you were operating heavy equipment. Yeah. My, uh, my father um, ran an underground construction company in California. So a lot of excavators, backhoes, skid loaders, things of that nature. And, um, we would go, I was just a kid. I, I think I, the, the earliest memory, I was seven and he said, Oh, we're going to go for a ride. And my older brother was 10 at the time. And we went to one of the job sites and he was telling us to dig these holes. Now that I'm older, I realize it was just cheap labor, <laughs> but, uh, you know, being, being seven, eight years old and getting to dig big holes with a with a backhoe, it was fun. You I were mean, just having fun. You were playing. Yeah, yeah. But he, I mean, he was getting the work done, you know, over the weekend. So, you know, <laughs> I was just cheap. We were cheap labor. So, That's great. you know, uh, yeah, heavy equipment. Um, I can't remember. I think his name was Glenn. One of my mom's ex-boyfriends used to drive an old cab over, and I'd go on short runs with him sometimes. Okay. 
and I was, I had to have been five or six years old. Wow. Um, so I kind of wow. had like the feel for it a little bit. So I you, guess. you had a, an early introduction into that. Yes. Yes. I've been around big equipment my whole life. So minus, I, I mean, I did some contracting for a few years, but I mean, pretty much other than that, I've been around trucks, heavy equipment, you know, working on cars in the garage and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah. And you were telling me like one, you know, hobby, uh, involved working on cars and everything. That's one of those things that you do. Is that you and your dad doing that? Uh, Yes. My, the, the yard in Mountain View, California, where my father kept his equipment at, they shared the back corner of the lot with the Mountain View police department. (laughs) It was an impound lot. So Uh after a car sat there for 30 days, it was open game. Anybody can get it. So being as that they rented the space from the company, my dad's company, they would, give us good deals. We'd get cars for $50, $100. Nice. And turn around and wrench on them in the garage. Yep. And then my dad would sell them and make a profit, which, I mean, I didn't get any of the profit, uh, but we bought another car, you know. and <laughs> He got your help, your labor. But. Yes, yes. But my, my dad, I went through a lot of cars when I was younger. Yeah. Because I liked to wrench on them, and sometimes I couldn't put them back together. So, my dad always made sure I got to give him that. He always made sure I had a set of wheels. I mean, even when awesome. I didn't live with him, he he made sure I had something to drive hmm. so I could get back and forth to work. Yeah, I learned learned a lot in that garage, uh, Telford Avenue, Mountain View, California. Uh, <laughs> that little house, I th- my dad probably got it for around two hundred thousand dollars, and it's probably worth about three million right now. Oh goodness! Because of the tech boom in the Bay Area, no doubt. Yeah, yeah crazy. the property values are ridiculous, ridiculous. around there. Ridiculous. <laughs> it is insane. I go out there. I try to go out there when I can, and I just can't believe it. No, that property isn't still in the family, is it? No. <laughs> my dad <laughs> My dad kicks himself for selling it, I think, because he'd be on a little gold mine now. You know? Yeah, no doubt. But So now, do you do you still utilize that, You know, your, or your, well, your passion for wrenching and everything and, and being with cars? I, I want to get an old truck. Um, I just can't. I, in this juncture, I can't, everything that we will probably touch bases on that's going on in my life. I just can't mm-hmm. find the finances. Um, my, I want an old seventies F 100 Ranger. Okay. Um, that's actually, I was going to ask if you're talking, talking like a, an old Ranger or something like yes, that. Yeah. I, I, that's like, I want one of those trucks so bad. Um, and I've looked and I'm always like just shy on getting one and, and with everything that I do and trying to help people and, taking time off work to go to disaster. I just don't, I mean, my extra money that would go into that, something like that is getting spent. I I feel helping my fellow man. So, yeah. Well, I think that's actually a good segue into some other uh, passions of yours in, in helping people out responding. You just told us that you lived in California. Yes. uh, But now you've also lived on the opposite coast. Yes. As well in Florida. Yes. So uh, you've been through your share of different disasters and everything, mm-hmm. hurricanes and such. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your involvement there and, and passion for relief efforts? Well, I helped out in uh, during Hurricane Katrina. That was really the first one. Um, just helped with cleanup efforts and stuff like that. And uh, when you see, it's it's kind of hard to explain uh, with with the with a discourse all over the planet right now, like when you go to a situation like that where people are just devastated, mm-hmm. like you see people working together, it doesn't matter race, 
color, creed, religious background, everybody is one, they're everybody's human mm-hmm. and everybody's helping each other. And I think that that reassures, it, it kind of gives me hope for the human race a little bit. So I think that's kind of why I like to help because it reassures me and gives me faith in humanity, if that makes sense. Because people just don't do stuff to help each other as much anymore. And I'm only 36, but I've I noticed the change. I've noticed the change in how people act to their neighbors just in my 36 years. <laughs> so everyone's a little bit more selfish, self centered, and just yeah, yeah. self serving. Yes. Um, yes, and it's it's not as common to have that uh, second nature to, well, even just interact with, with the people around you, your neighbors, and everything. Yeah. But now, Katrina, you said it was your first one. You've also uh, been involved in some others. I know you said your mom was affected by Michael. Yes, uh, very badly. Um, I was actually headed north on 231. I just picked up a load at Cooper Tire, or Michelin Tire, rather, um, in uh, Midland City, Alabama. And uh, Matt Cheevers, my dispatcher, was trying to get me away from the Gulf Coast because the hurricane was coming. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a call from my mom saying that, oh, stuff's bad and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, we'll just be safe. Well, she put a post on Facebook that a tree went through the house. They're stuck in the hallway. Send help. Mm. And then nobody got a hold of her. Like nobody could get get in contact with her. The phone lines went down. Um, Fortunately, I have some really good friends of mine, Leaf and Amber Erickson. They live down there, and they actually lived around the corner from my house or my mom's house. Mm Mm-hmm. And as soon as the the worst part of the storm passed, they ran over and checked and were able to get my mom and stepfather, all three of their cats and their two German shepherds out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody awesome. survived, but the house uh, took a direct hit from about a 9,000-pound Spanish oak. Oh. Mom's car got crushed. Yeah. Um, it was just total devastation. So uh bay county wasn't bay county was completely off limits uh the reason why they let us through is because i had chainsaws fuel mm-hmm. um, supplies because i've been i've helped out in scenarios like that so i know what you need to bring yeah. and then uh me and my wife went around helping uh i wish i remember his name so i could give him a shout but he worked with the national guard and he saw our little car with it, I drive a little 2016 Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> so they, they it's a manly, manly car. Oh, I know, I know it is, and it's and it's like this sky blue color, so perfect, that just makes it even perfect. better, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, they seen a little car with Illinois plates, and he walked up and he said, "You guys come down here from Illinois?" And we're like, "Yeah, we lived here for years. We're down here to help." So they loaded the car up with boxes of MREs, cases mm-hmm. of water, and we went around Bay County delivering food and water to people that couldn't get their cars out. And some of the stuff we delivered by hand. Um, and then we kept going back and kept going back. And uh, um, I actually messed my car up and haven't been able to fix it <laughs> yet because of circumstances. But, uh, yeah, my car got a little messed up uh, uh, with driving over trees and Tell you what, though, Volkswagen, though. You put it through its paces, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's a good car. That's I tell you what, it's a good car. It uh, it handled all that like a champ, and it's only has a little bit of a wobble in it. I think it just needs some tires, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a nice, easy fix if so. <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope. It's under warranty right now, so I'm hoping that it's just tires. <laughs> as soon as you tell them where you've taken it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, 
oh, we're not, we're not going to honor that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now you said you've been involved in other relief efforts. I mean, you knew what to do as far as taking in the chainsaws, the different gear and equipment and everything. Yes. Uh, I think you told me that, uh, you, there was a group of you. Yeah. They called us the chainsaw army, the chainsaw army. Yeah. Well, there was chainsaw army and some people called it the chainsaw mafia, but it was, I was like the same thing. <laughs> that's, and that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we were sitting there listening to the radio and, um, there was one channel coming through, um, that was local and they would put out, uh, basically an address, which you, there was no street signs. You had to know the area to know where you were going, but they would, uh, put out, addresses and say hey there's uh some people that need help at this address and so we'd show up and we cut them out and get a pathway so they could get out of their house or i was at my friend's house that was kind of like ground zero for us uh we had a generator with a uh uh, portable ac Uh, there was a kitchen and a bedroom that we walled off so we had a living room and a bedroom and there was a bunch of us staying in there but i was standing outside and i seen some probably 16, 17 year old kids running around asking for help. So I went up to him. I was like, what's going on? And they said, Oh, her grandfather's stuck in his house. Mm. So I went and uh, took me about an hour and a half, but I got him out of his house. And then I worked for another three hours to clear a path so we could get his car out. And just seeing the gratitude on people's faces was just, was awesome. I mean, you can't, you can't recreate that feeling no matter what you try to do. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. I I, I can relate to that. I, I did have an opportunity to respond uh, after Katrina. Yeah. I uh, went down and, and helped a couple different families uh, right. with our church to, to get them kind of cleaned up, set, set back up and, and, and moving forward again. But to see the, the devastation after something like that and uh, to actually have contact with the families, get to know a name in those people. It's just something you don't ever forget, but the, the gratitude that comes after that, because you know, you realize what's really important yeah, too, pe- at that point. It's crazy that people that lost everything, like literally everything could be so humbled. That, mm-hmm. that just blows my mind. Yeah. It'll be taken away from you just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I try to live that way now because I've witnessed it and it just, people don't understand how quickly you just snap the finger, everything's mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. Especially around here, tornadoes and stuff, you know. <laughs> Totally unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least a hurricane, you know it's coming. But Right, you can prepare uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's insane. I, I can – the destruction was just amazing. I mean, it truly was. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, I mean, just going into a war zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's about, about the best I can describe it anyway. Yeah. It's uh, unlike anything that you've seen before. It's, it's not like, you know, around here, you get a tornado, unless it's in the direct path – you see some branches and stuff down around mm-hmm. and everything, but with that, it's just mass, mass destruction. Yeah, it was like a, I think they said it was like a 180-mile-wide EF4 tornado, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the videos and the pictures, it's just, yeah, it was. But now, you said, so with your mom and your stepdad there, you ended up pulling them out of there, and they're up here with you now. Yes, I actually started a GoFundMe, and uh, I'm actually a uh, Quite a few people at work helped out and donated some money and um, got them a U-Haul, got them up here. And uh, my my former uh, best friend, um, his uncle had a condo um, that was empty, and uh, um, his his nephew used to live with us a lot. We took pretty good care of him down in Florida, so he kind of opened his empty condo up to let my parents and their animals stay there while we kind of awesome. got everything figured out which 
was a blessing because, I mean, I don't know what we would have done. But they stayed there for a few months, and uh, now they, they got a place, and they're both working, and things are starting to look up. You know, obviously, they missed their house. They don't like having to pay rent <laughs> now, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it could have been much worse. Yeah. And, I, and I think they're uh, – my stepdad's definitely aware of that. Um, my mom, she still pines for her home, and you know, which is mm-hmm. completely understandable, but – I mean, she could have been under that tree instead of right. three feet from it. You know, it's just, it's the little, little things like that you think about. And, uh, and I think she's starting to get a little humbled because she's starting to realize that she might actually be doing a little bit better up here than she was down in Florida. Mm. As far as jobs and, you know, we found her a great car. She's got a nice townhouse she lives in. And so, I mean, yeah. I think she's starting to get a little, uh, gratitude i guess for everything for being being able to experience what she's experiencing now because <laughs> she gotcha. could have been taken yeah. she could have been gone so you've mentioned your current situation being what it is i know your mom and stepdad being here is part of that yes. um tell me a little bit more about your current situation uh everything that you kind of got going on right now oh, wow um got a 14 year old son love him to death He's, um, he literally was the turning point for my life. Uh, as soon as he was born, I realized it ain't about me no more. Um, time to get on the grind and make sure I can give this little being the best life I possibly can. Um, he, he's an amazing kid. He's super smart. Um, his mom really hasn't been in the picture for quite some time, minus, a Facebook message here and there and she's got her own demons. Not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not here to mm-hmm. judge anybody, which I hope she works through them eventually at some point in her life. Um, but it was me and my son for a while. And of course my, my, my mom and stepfather, they helped, you know, uh, my son went to school right around the corner from my mom. So I'd go to work and I'd take my son to my mom's house in the morning and then I'd pick him up at night. Sometimes he'd stay there so I could have, you know, I was in my mid twenties. You know, I still had to have somewhat of a social life every now and then. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, trying to go through the legal stuff to get his name changed because he does not have my name. Mm. Um, and that's you know the the finances for that. The finances because we had a tree fall through our house. My car being messed up. When did the tree fall through? Uh, okay. I say a tree fell through. It was actually, we have, I think it's called, uh, a hackleberry tree Okay. or hackberry tree. Uh-huh. If that sounds familiar to you guys, I'm not familiar with the, <laughs> the timber in the yep. Midwest, but, um, you could probably fit three of me arm to arm around it. It's a huge tree. Yeah. So the branch that fell is a little bit wider than me putting my hands together in a circle okay. or diameter. Um, it fell on the roof on the back of the house and then the roof started leaking. And then Mm -hmm. upon pulling up the roof to, to see what we had to repair, there was a corner of that part of the roof that was rotten. So we had to rip it all up, uh, had a help from a good friend of mine doing all that stuff. But then the foundation had, had a problem The the, where the tree had fell on the house, that part of the house was sinking into the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so did all that, just trying to get everything situated and, uh, 
I mean, it takes a lot of money. Being a homeowner, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to own a house. I want to own a <laughs> the house. The joys of homeownership, I know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, you know, I think I'd rather pay somebody $1,000 a month and not have to fix nothing. <laughs> There's, there, there could be something to that. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I haven't had a break, and neither has my poor wife. We haven't had a break since we got back from Jamaica um, uh, in June. It's been go, go, go. I get off work I, tonight when I get off. Uh, when I get out of here, I'm going to be working. And it's I pull probably 15-hour days at home yeah. trying to get everything situated. And, yeah, it's just been it's been a nightmare. But, you know, it's uh, everything happens for a reason. So I'm trying to think positive. Uh, I'm learning some stuff mainly about myself and patience, <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's been good. Um, but it's just, I'm, I'm getting tired. I'd like a weekend where I don't have to do anything. Yeah. That would be really, really, really nice. So hopefully it's coming soon. <laughs> I, I do see it. Well, after the deck, we have to do, do the siding because yeah. the siding's broken. Okay. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's just, and that will probably be a, a project of and in itself being a truck driver. I'm only home typically Saturdays and Sundays sure. trying to do projects like that by yourself without hiring a contractor can right. be just time consuming. Yeah. So yeah, totally, totally yeah. get it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's plenty uh, going on for you and uh, you were telling me that this, this story gets a little, um, didn't say a little, the story gets really interesting here. You, you said you just got back from Jamaica, but that was your honeymoon, right? Yes. Well, we actually got married there as well. Okay. We we were going to have a big wedding. You know, we were trying to, we were actually really, we really liked the uh, chapel in the woods. Yes. I forgot where, it, like over by Shirley. Yep. Yep. Funks Grove. Funks uh, Grove. There yep. you go. I was trying to think of the just, name. Just down the road a bit. But we had some dis- disputes about best man, bridesmaid, and, you know, just like, and we were really worried that because our families are so spread out over the country. Um, there were some other weddings that were going on in the family around the same time. Granted, I will say everybody had about two years notice of ours before anybody else's. <laughs> so I just want to point that out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. So it, we just, our, our travel agent, uh, shout out to Honeymoon Headquarters, uh, Kim Maureen. I think I said her last name correctly. She's <laughs> awesome. She's amazing if anybody needs a vacation. But uh, she told us, she was she was like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people planning weddings go through that. She's like, you're staying in Jamaica for a week. You can have a wedding for free. They'll throw in a wedding because you're staying there more than five nights or right, whatever it sure. is. Um, so we just, we talked about it and, you know, we just said, you know what, why don't we just ask some friends to go with us and go have a casual wedding. And I mean, not a lot of people have Jamaica on their wedding certificate. So that's true. Yeah. I mean, so (laughs) we, we went there, got married and uh, we saved ourselves a lot of money on venues and food and travel expenses. And it was a very, I, I really wanted my wife to be able to have the big wedding. I never really wanted it a big lavish thing. And I'm kind of glad that she went with the, yeah, let's go to Jamaica thing. Cause it was so much easier. Yeah. You, you didn't have all the stress of all the, the planning and no. everything else too. And no, we, extra we had, expense. And- yeah. We had a wedding planner and she just basically said, where do you want to do it? And what do you want the cake? How do you want the cake? Which <laughs> right. it was this Jamaican fruit cake. It was very strange, but it was this. Jam- I, I, 
I'm trying to imagine it, what this is going to be. It, so it, it sounds crazy, <laughs> but it was almost like Jamaican's version of a carrot. It's not like fruitcake like you think of Christmas time here. Because that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, right I know, now. right? Yeah. Like a like a log with dried pineapple right. and stuff. And no, it was, but it it was really good. It's uh, kind of like a carrot cake sort yeah, of. Yeah, it was similar thing. to a carrot cake, and it had Bailey's Irish cream icing. Okay, and it was it was pretty good. But uh, that was pretty much the only thing that we really had to worry about is what yeah. flavor cake we wanted and <laughs> and where we wanted to actually have the ceremony. You know, my wife and I argued over that. I just wanted regular yellow cake. And <laughs> she wanted something else. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, but it, it worked out. I mean, uh, some, some family members got a little upset because they couldn't be there, but yeah. it wasn't about them. Yeah. You know, weddings these days are so commercialized and it's like spend money, spend money, spend money. And and I think people lose sight of it's about the union of two people and yeah. two families coming together. And it's not weddings now are about everybody else when they're supposed to be about the bride and groom. And we kind of realize that. And that's where we're like, ah, let's go. To, let's just get married in Jamaica. It's about us anyway. <laughs> Can't fault you there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now I want to hear, I want you to tell us the, the story though, then backing up of how you even got to know your wife. Okay. And this is, I know this is, this is where it's really going to get interesting. And yeah, uh, but I'll, I'm going to give it over to you. Here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and as I told you uh, before uh, we started recording, it's kind of a little bit of a Jerry Springer story. Uh, I met my wife uh, probably in 2005. I don't know the exact month, but uh, I met her because I was staying at my grandma's place helping take care of her and a neighbor that was, uh, she was battling cancer by the way, but, um, a neighbor of hers that happened to be friends of friends of mine asked me to go pick up one of his friends that was flying down to Panama city beach from Bloomington. It's like a three and a half hour ride to Pensacola from Panama city beach. So I tell him, yeah, sure. I'll keep you company. Well, I met Jay and, uh, um, and at first it was a little standoffish and, um, but we ended up becoming best friends. Well, a, a couple of years later, he moved his wife down like two years later, something like that. And his wife, you know, was a very nice girl. And, and I ended up having them become my son's godparents. Uh, Jay and Kayla were best friends. Uh, Kristen and Kayla were best friends. It just seemed like if anything were, were to happen to me that I knew that Kayla would be in good hands with them. So they, had kind of a rocky marriage and uh they end subsequently got divorced in 2008 and then uh Kristen and I kind of lost contact I stayed in contact with Jay but Kristen went off and was just living her life you know and uh well in 2013 I got the phone call um that Jay had gotten a wreck in route nine and he didn't survive and mm. um so I wanted to come because I promised Jay there was a specific song that we promised each other we'd play at our funeral. And I had to hold my phone up to the microphone because the church wasn't too excited about the song. Uh, it was, uh, if I ever leave this world alive by flogging Molly. Um, uh, but the church didn't know if there was any obscene obscenities, yeah. which there isn't. Um, but, um, uh, I gave a little eulogy and stuff like that, but me and Kristen kind of started talking and, she was in kind of a dysfunctional relationship as was I. So it kind of gave us something to talk about. And we, I guess, vicariously talking to each other, we realized that 
we deserved much more than the situations we were in. Mm. And um, she actually told me, I think it was 2013. I'm thinking it was, it might've been 2014. Um, my, I have memory loss, which we'll get into that. Um, but uh, she called me and said that she was going to be alone for Christmas and New Year's. And I said, no, you're not. Um, I'll rent a car. Me and my son will come up and we'll, we'll have, we'll have a good time. We'll have a small nice. Christmas and, you know, and then one thing led to another. And I'm just going to say that that's smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't want, you know, she, she was always a real nice, nice, nice woman and uh, uh, always treated me with respect and Caleb adored her. Um, so I figured why not? And I think that, you know, I lost a couple friends because of it, because they said, how could you do that? You know, Jay and well, I mean, Jay was my best friend. I'd give anything to have him back, but I mean, he's gone. Yeah. And I think that wherever he is in the ether that he appreciates that his wife is happy or his ex-wife that she's being taken care of and that Caleb is happy because Caleb was his right hand man. I mean, him and Caleb had a pretty good relationship so, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, I actually, when I was up here for that two weeks, and I realized that we we picked up, like, we didn't see each other for almost five years, somewhere around there, and we picked up like we, like it was, yes, I seen her yesterday, and yeah. it was strange how quickly we were back into the conversation, and like nothing, time had never even went by. Yeah, we, we took it slow at first, but... um yeah, we decided, you know what, I think that we need to tie the knot. And um, and I it wasn't nothing fancy as far as the proposal. Um, I l- literally got on one knee in the kitchen with my son there um, and asked her to marry me. She said yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and then we started, Jamaica was supposed to be our honeymoon, but it turned out to be our ceremony as well. And um, now we're just building history. That's you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it's an, it's a crazy story. And, and people think that like, I, I don't, it's, it's weird. Cause you, you have these relationships in your past and then somebody crosses your path again and completely just knocks you off the path that you were on and not saying the path I was on was a bad one, but I was struggling a little bit, single dad, um, in a very, very, very bad relationship um, abusive, not me. Um, uh, that sounds funny. Like people don't think women, it, can it abuse does. Men. And, and, and I kind of want to get into that a little bit. Um, not necessarily, you know, bringing up too much, but I, I, there's kind of a stigma that a single parent is automatically a single mom. Yeah. Uh, and if there's an abusive part of the relationship, it's usually coming from the male. And, and that's probably it's typically true. Yes. Yes. But it, it, it does overshadow a lot of times. I think the other reality, right? The other side of that, right? Um, that happens. So being a single dad, very different. I, th- I think there's a there's a difference probably there than being a single mom. Not that you you may not be able to say I've lived the side of a single mom, but typically speaking, the the male the dad is responsible for providing. Yes. And you know, as a single mom now is having to figure out providing and everything. That's, that's something different. Um, but there's a different nature, nurture mm-hmm. type a relationship there. But at what point did, did the two of you actually separate? Uh, at, w- at what age was your, your son 
and that things kind of fizzled or he's 14 now. So he had to have been around eight. Okay. Somewhere. I mean, so he's a, he's, he's fully into school. He's getting yeah. friends and everything and, and, you know, kind of getting into the thick of it, learning life lessons. How do you as a single dad start to navigate that? Well, I had a lot of help from my mom um, as far as, you know, when I had to work and he wasn't in school because um, my mom, she was, you know, a single mom, raised me and my two brothers. Um, it was tough. I mean, I, I just had to do it. Like, I, it was literally uh, on a day-by-day basis. I mean, sometimes it was like, you know, not knowing, oh, am I going to am I gonna be able to pay these bills? And I was working construction. It was tough because I knew – I knew that if I knew I had bigger potential than where I was at in life at that point. And I was coming to the realization that if something doesn't change for me, that it's going to put my son in a very hard path because poverty begets poverty. It's just part of life. Mm -hmm. Like if your parents are struggling, chances are you probably are too. That's just how it is. Um, I mean, if you, if you grow up with a lot of money around and a silver spoon, chances are, if you take advantage of that, that you're probably going to have a pretty good life. Um, so I, and just, and even today I tell my son all the time, like, I don't want you to struggle like I've struggled. I don't think you fully understand what it's like trying to make sure you have everything that you need, want and, and not want. Cause I mean, you know, but right. you know what I'm saying? But, but, but you do want to provide in, you have desires. You want, you yes. know, the best for your kid, and you want more than just their basic needs. Yes, to be fulfilled. Yes, it's 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 been a rocky road. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, I think that I've grown as a person, um, and and I wouldn't even trade the hard hard times. Um, there's been some difficulty. Um, he's had some behavioral problems that I a hundred percent believe stem from his mother not caring. And, and I think we're finally starting to work through some of that. I mean, he still has his moments, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it was pretty much a day by day thing. I I would, I would go to work and make sure he'd get home and do homework and, uh, cook his dinner. And we ate a lot of, uh, (laughs) bachelor type dinners, like, you (laughs) know, macaroni and and cheese cheese. (laughs) mixed with hot dogs and, you know, beef stew mixed with rice, you know, just simple stuff. And, a goulash, you know, um, it's weird because I think the most challenging and difficult thing, but it's yet also the most rewarding thing is being a dad. Uh, I, I, it's just, there's no, no feeling like it. And it's, it's hard sometimes. I mean, I, me and him getting little arguments and, um, you know, and he's, he's becoming a, I mean, he is a teenager. So. He's, he's 14 now. Yes. <laughs> and he's, he's surely developing opinions. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and and yeah. he's in that age where he's always right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I can speak as a former teenager myself. That, that, that's it's true. That's how it goes. <laughs> I, 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 I will give him credit where credit's due though. When, like we have our little moments and our arguments at home, but when we're out in public, like he is one of the most respectful kids and has some of the best mm-hmm. manners more so than most adults. He's very chivalry. He chivalrous. Yeah. Chivalrous. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he holds, holds doors, not just for women, but for men as well. That's, that's great. Um, he 
he opens the car door for my wife. Wow. Um, he's he's a he's a gentleman. It's just we have our little. Now he, I'm going to say he learned that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm I'm betting you you showed him that, and and he not by you telling him. No, I'm, I'm betting it's by you doing it. Yeah, it's you know it's uh I think that uh a lot of children these days are lacking respect and manners and morals, and that's I think that's ultimately the downfall of society that we're seeing right now. So and my son's not going to be part of that. Not I mean, uh-uh. my parents, even though. Um, I had a rocky upbringing, very rocky, um, but my parents still instilled respect and manners in me mm-hmm. throughout the chaos that was my childhood. They still managed to uh, make sure that I grew up a decent adult. And I look back on some of the stuff that I hated them for when I was a teenager, but now I understand and I respect them even more yeah. for it. So yeah. so now your, your son being 14... Uh, just starting high school this year? Yes, freshman. Freshman year. Yes. And he's actually, he's homeschooled. Okay. We're going to try to transition him into uh, public school just because there's stuff in high school I don't want him to miss. Um, but right now he goes to the Midwestern Christian Academy. And my wife, you know, she helps him with his schooling. And like, like I said, I got to give her, uh, she is literally superwoman. I mean, literally. Uh, I mean, she... Works full time at State Farm, schools our son. I say our son because she's she's his mom. That's awesome. Um, homeschools him, uh, takes care of the house. Absolutely gets upset when I'm home if I do anything around the house, minus you know fixing holes and roofs and stuff like that. But <laughs> minus those things. <laughs> yeah, if, if I if I want to like sweep the floors or do laundry or something, she gets a little offended because really, she, yeah, she is literally. Like she is superwoman. I mean, wow. I hold her up higher than a lot of people because just the the amount of stuff she's able to accomplish and still remain level headed, it's amazing. So that's that's incredible. That's awesome, and yeah. um, I'm very happy for you Thank too. You. Thank the, you. The, that situation, and it sounds like you two uh, perfect pair at this point, and yeah, uh, and and perfect for your son as well. Now, when you talk about you know, you leaving an impact for, for your son, you've got a lot of life experience yourself, good and bad. Right. And you've, you've been through a lot of things. One thing in particular, uh, where you needed to make a a drastic change, uh, from the way you were living that you were telling me about, you know, just tell me about that. Um, well, the addiction that you were dealing with. Yes. Um, I grew up in the Bay area, California, um, you know, uh, had kind of a rocky upbringing. Uh, uh, my dad had his, had his demons. My mom had hers. Um, I won't really go into that. Um, but I had mine. I had a pretty extensive addiction to cocaine, meth, did some, you know, a lot of hallucinogenics. And I was just, uh, you know, I think I was trying to hide a lot of pain that I had just, Growing up was rough. Um, California was not a friendly place uh, to me. <laughs> um, so January 3rd, 2003, I called my mom. I was living in a car. My dad bought me this $300 81 Camaro. <laughs> uh, so I at least have a car, um, but I lived, I lived in it for a while. And uh, I kind of broke down and um, 
I was actually looking at myself in the mirror. Granted, I'm about six three, six foot four, mm-hmm. about two hundred fifteen pounds. I'm healthy now. Um, <laughs> that also is because I have a great woman that cooks me good food. But uh, <laughs> um, I was looking in the mirror and uh, I didn't like what I saw. You know, it's typical. I didn't like what I said. You know, it's yeah. very. Uh, I can't think of the word cliche. But uh, that really happened. I was looking in the mirror at my brother's apartment at myself, and uh, I was like, God, I look like a skeleton because those particular drugs you don't eat, mm-hmm. stay up, you know. Um, and I weighed myself, and I weighed 127 pounds. Wow. Um, and uh, I called my mom and was freaking out, and she had been sober for a while. And she's like, I'm going to get you a bus ticket. She's like, I can't afford a plane ticket but I'm going to get you a bus ticket to come to Panama city so you can sober up. So she bought me a bus ticket. I left California left with two suitcases. One had some tools in it because my mom lined me up with a job at a mechanic shop um, with a friend of hers. um, And he was going to give me as much time as I needed to be ready to work, Mm. which was amazing. That's awesome. And then another suitcase full of clothes. Well, I took a Greyhound bus (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if y'all have ever rode Greyhound. Uh, it might be good for a little four or 500 mile trip, but I took it 3000 miles. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a nightmare. Cause not uh-huh. only was I, I, I was on a bus for four and a half days. It's how long it took, but I was also going through detox. Um, it was probably one of the most difficult situations I've ever been in because I had, the demons pulling me, oh, just get on a bus, go back to California. All this will go away. Just go back. And then I had, you know, the angels pulling me. Mom's trying to help you. Go to mom. Go to mom. And uh, I went to mom. Um, I lived on her couch for a while. Um, it probably took me It took me a couple weeks to detox. I slept a lot, ate a lot of food. And uh, uh, when I felt like I was ready, I went to work and and it's just been, I've been grinding ever since working, trying to help people, just doing everything I can. Uh, cause I, I feel like, I feel like I'm atoning for the way I lived when I was younger. Um, cause I, I did some bad things. Um, I did some bad things to people. Um, I had to steal, uh, I mean, drug addiction is a terrible thing and a lot of people don't come out of it. I mean, I have friends that died, friends that didn't make it out. It's, it's a tough, 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 that's a tough world. And a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get out of it. Like I did. It's just been grind ever since. And then when my son was born, it's just even, it even turned it up even more. Just work, 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 work. Um, I don't beat myself up for my past and I don't relish on what I've could have done different because it doesn't make any difference. All I can do is push forward and try to live better, a better future than my past was. That's addiction, you know, watched my mom go through it. My brother, uh, my little brother was pretty fortunate. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't have the heavy drug addiction that, uh, that he went through. Um, you know, my dad went through some, some stuff and I, I talked to him about stuff all the time. He actually helped me with my cigarette addiction, which I quit three years ago. I wanted a new car. I was driving an old F-150 that was all beat up. Didn't have heat. I went through an Illinois winter <laughs> without heat. Oh, ouch. <laughs> and uh, I, I told my now wife, I was like, I got to get a new car. And uh, at the time, we were like, we don't know if we can afford it. And 
my credit was kind of hit or miss and uh, went to Volkswagen and they were like, well, we Volkswagen gave me a loan for a car. And I'm like, well, in order to pay for this car, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And I haven't had a cigarette since. And that money is paying for that car. <laughs> That's awesome. So how much were you smoking at the time? Uh, at the height of my smoking, it was like two packs a day. Okay. And at the, and the, but then for like the last year before I quit, I, a pack was lasting me two to three days. So I do like to exercise and uh, um, I like to get my heart rate up. And when you're a smoker, that's rough. It's hard to, you know, you get your heart rate past 125 for about 15 minutes and you feel like you're dying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you want, and then you go right to smoke a cigarette after you get done. It just, it didn't make any sense, yeah. you know. <laughs> I know this is going to shift gears a little bit, but. Back earlier, you mentioned something about some memory loss. Yes. And um, and before we started talking, you uh, you mentioned about a wreck that you had back in, in 2013. Is, are those related? Yes. Okay. And go ahead and you've already talked about coming back from addiction where a lot of people don't come back from. And now you're going to tell a story about a wreck that puts you in some serious, you know, critical condition. Yes. Uh, so you've, you've kind of for lack of a better term right now, you've maybe cheated death a couple times here. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like there, I have, there's, there's a purpose. I haven't a hundred percent. Well, it's from to raise a good kid. I know, I know that's my purpose, but I think there's something bigger than just that. And I think that's why I'm here. Uh, yeah. Um, 2013, um, I was in a CMV, uh, worked for this beer delivering company and, um, I was coming up to a red light and uh, hit my brakes. There was no brakes there. I was in a day cab, looked in my my rear view mirror. Glad hands are still attached. Pressure gauge said I had pressure. I should have had brakes. I didn't. So um, I was going about 45 miles, roughly. I can't remember. It was either 45 or 55 what the speed limit was, but I was going the speed limit. I didn't have any brakes, so I had the option to jump the curb and try to get into this field by the fairgrounds or run through the traffic light. So I hit this curb, and my truck came back around back into the road, and when I realized I was either going to – that jumping the curb didn't work because as soon as I hit the grass, my truck slid, and it went right back into the road. <laughs> so I had the option to either go to the left and run through a flea, big flea market building that was full of people or – barrel through the red light and I probably would have killed some people or rolled the truck. So I decided I turned left as hard as I could and I just stood on the brake and I, I didn't have any, anything with my, my valves. I mean, I pulled my valves, nothing. I wasn't stopping. It wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. So I rolled the truck and, um, like they say, Oh, stuff like that happens in slow motion. And it's, it does. Like it felt like it took 30 minutes for the truck to stop. But after it rolled and it was on its passenger side, um, I was stuck in the seatbelt. Then the, the driver's side was crushed down on me. Um, a guy came up and uh, backed his pickup truck up to the cab of the truck. And he, they cut me out of the seatbelt. And I, not to get too descriptive here, but it's part of the story. Um, trucks have air ride suspension. Well, if you take your weight off of that seat, it's going to push up. Mm -hmm. Well, my crotch, my groin got mm -hmm. crushed in between the seat and the steering column. Mm. Um, 
So they had to, they cut the airline on the seat. So the seat would go down. Yep. Which I thought was weird. I just didn't understand. Something was very strange. I, I can't explain what was happening because I, I should have been able to stop. And then there was no air pressure, but it said there was air pressure and my seat still had pressure. It was just a all around weird experience. But, uh, he asked me if I could climb out of the window and I looked in my shoulder blade was my, the ball of my shoulder was pretty much almost to the center of my chest, the seatbelt, the force of the truck hitting the in, in initial pavement when it first rolled shattered pretty much everything in my shoulder and mm-hmm. it folded around the seatbelt. Oh, so it, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, they took me away in an ambulance a fire fire crew showed up. I was able to stand. Granted, I had a torn meniscus and ACL in my left knee um, from it mm. smashing the dashboard, I guess. Fire department showed up, and he was chiseling around the windshield, and I was starting to get my adrenaline was wearing off. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of being rude, and um, I told him to how to get the windshield out effectively fast. Basically, probably with some choice words there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, but they, they got me out and they they took me to to the emergency room and took me into ICU. They couldn't do any shoulder surgery because I had road rash real bad. So they basically had to make me comfortable and send me home and put my arm in a sling. So I had to spend eight days with my arm in a sling taking heavy, heavy, heavy narcotics. Um, and, and they didn't even, yeah, they didn't even touch the pain. Uh, I pretty much sat in a recliner for about seven, eight days. Um, my son helped me out tremendously, um, helped me, you know, with baths and well, and you said your son's helping you. This is back in 2013. He's 14. So he would have been about what? Nine. Yes. Nine or so. Yeah. He was helping me out. Um, um, I had some friends that would stop by that would help me out, but I had a neighbor across the street. Uh, he was just, I mean, awesome. Uh, helped me out monetarily, physically. Um, one of the greatest guys that I, I've ever met. He just stepped up and knew that I needed help and helped me. Once I got my shoulder surgery, they couldn't do anything to my knee because in order for me to have crutches, I needed a shoulder that worked. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I was pretty much walking around. I mean, I had a brace, but I had to deal with a meniscus tear and an ACL tear. And I think that hurt more than my shoulder, honestly. Um, but once my shoulder healed up, uh, then they did surgery on my knee, which I got, what is it, 13 bolts and a plate. Like my collarbone's metal. Like I, there's nothing, okay. nothing there. I have a metal collarbone. How's that going through the airport? <laughs> it actually it doesn't go off because it, it's titanium. It's okay. not surgical steel. But my orthopedic surgeon told me he's like, yeah, you're not in cold weather. It'll be fine because it's titanium. Yeah, obviously he hasn't given somebody a surgery that lives up here because it's. I mean, maybe down in Florida in the winter when it's fifty. But this this negative. You feel that, huh? Oh yeah, it's because oh, it's right. I mean, it's right. You could see it if I, like, you know, bend. Let me see if I can make. Can you see it? Yeah. The bolts. The yeah. Heads, heads of the bolts right there. Uh, maybe know. kind of just a little bit. But I definitely yeah. see the the, the, the <laughs> scar, the location, and you know the yeah. the plate of all that. Yeah. But uh, so 
once that was healed up, they fixed my knee, um, which the meniscus healed irregularly. They opted to leave it alone. So now I walk. People, uh, you know, it looks like I'm walking with a gangster kind of walk. No, it's because my knee's bum. <laughs> but, but, uh, I don't guess I've ever noticed, but I, I will kinda, now. Yeah, I, I kind of waddle a little bit when I walk. Um, but uh, but they fixed my ACL, and um, I had a lot of uh, physical therapy. I had a nurse that came and helped me out because I was, I mean, I, I, I had like a – a level of psychosis uh, I was dealing with getting back in a vehicle. I didn't want to drive. It was, it was tough uh, because I couldn't explain. It would have been different if I could explain what happened. It, it, it known how to prevent whatever yeah. happened or explain it all yeah, out. But I couldn't explain it. And yeah, yeah it was a, uh, it was a ride. My brain got rattled around and uh, I suffer, you know, and some of it is probably linked to the drug abuse when I was younger. I wouldn't doubt but something definitely um, talking to my psychologist that I had that I was working with uh, and neurologist down in Florida, they said that there's definitely some wires that shifted around in that wreck. I just, I have a big, especially being a trainer here, I can explain things to students and they understand what I'm trying to say. But when it comes to like numbers and percentages and stuff, I have to revert to the, uh, to like the handbook to tell them, okay, this is the number, you know, whatever, whatever mm. it may be like with detention pay and stuff like that. Okay. I can't retain, I have trouble retaining new information. I have to keep constantly read it, read it and read it. Yeah. And, uh, it makes me forget. Like I feel bad sometimes cause I walk through the office and everybody knows my name and I don't remember a lot of people and it's nothing personal. I just, I forget unless I've had multiple interactions with somebody I, I just forget. I feel bad sometimes because I'm like, you know my name. I should know yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel, uh, it, but uh, yeah, and that was, that was, uh, that pretty much ended my driving career in Panama City because of the news agency's uh, defamation of character. Wow. I, I'll give them some credit. Their, their headlines are crafty. <laughs> 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 Granted, because I'm a beer man, okay? So you could just imagine, you know, I'm, I'm the Miller Lite guy, deliver kegs and, well, one one news agency. There was two main news agencies. Once one's headline was "Beer Driver Gets a Little Tipsy." <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> okay, crafty. I'll give it to him. That's 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 comedy. It made me laugh, you know. But it kept me from getting a job. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. And then the the second one was uh, biggest party foul in Panama City because oh. of all the beer that was spilt on the highway. Did you clip those? I mean, did you, do you have copies I of those? I think my mother does. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it was, uh, so I give it to him. It was, it, I mean, the, it, it was great. I, I, the, the, the comedy, it made me laugh, but it definitely affected me getting another driving job in that area. Yeah, I get that. And it wasn't my fault. I mean, mm-hmm. even, um, the guy that backed his truck up to my truck told me, he was like, I knew something was wrong when you jumped that curb. He's like, how did you not hit anything? Because I missed a pow- like multiple power poles, a bus stop, a fire hydrant. Uh, what else? There was something else there. Oh, guide wires for the telephone. Okay. I missed everything. And I just laid the truck over and rolled it over on uh, in the middle of the road. And I didn't hurt anybody or destroy anything except for my body and the truck. Equipment. Yep. And the company just resold the product anyway. I mean, they took the cat. My brother, my little brother worked in the warehouse 
the company claimed a complete loss, but my little brother's like, no, those kegs went back on another truck. <laughs> Shaken, not stirred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, somebody had a lot of foam. They had kegs full of foam, and that's what it was. Well, one of the things I, I want to point out, and the fact that you're a trainer now too, is that you had presence of mind in that moment to be aware of the different scenarios mm-hmm. that, that you were faced with. You, you recognized that you had option A, B, C here took into account what the potential casualty mm-hmm. would end up being and chose the one that basically affected just you. Yeah. Uh, in, in all of that, in what was very likely just split seconds yeah. worth of, of time. Yeah. It, it happened like that until my truck was on, like <laughs> felt like it was flying. Yeah. <laughs> then it was all in slow-mo. How do you explain something like that? The, the ability to, run these different scenarios. So you, as a trainer, do you go over that sort of thing with your students? Are you talking about the different things that you're seeing and being prepared? Yes. I call it being preemptive. No, you got to know what's going on around you. I mean, driving a truck isn't just getting in a truck and having tunnel vision. Um, When I'm driving, I'm watching traffic coming at me as well, because if one of those trucks jumps the median or something, I would rather put my truck in a ditch than get hit head on by a, by another commercial vehicle going 70. So yeah, it's just, you have to read, you have to watch everything. Your eyes constantly have to move and leave yourself an out. I mean, that's part of the Smith system. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and unfortunately in my scenario, the only out that I had was possibly risking my life. But when you drive, When you drive a commercial vehicle, I mean, I've always thought of it as if you get in a scenario where it's you or a van full of people, I mean, you got to kind of, you know, you're, you're, you take responsibility for your equipment failure and you do what you got to do. If something crazy is happening and it's my life versus some stranger's life, I'm nine times out of 10, it's going to be me. I'm going to give myself up to make sure somebody else gets to see their family. That's part of this job. And I think that's the things it's the things like that, that people don't realize when they sign up to do this. A lot of this trainees that I see, it's all about the money for them. Like, you know, which money's a good thing, but uh, they, they tend to look past the the details of what it really takes to be part of this job and be part of this industry. It's not just sitting in a seat and driving. I mean, you literally have, a battering ram under your control. And if you have to send that battering ram into a brick wall or a tree to make sure people around you survive, then that is what you have to do. That's what you're signing up for when you go take that test and you get a job. And uh, it's just like uh, fighter pilots in the Air Force. There was a pilot that died over uh, Tyndall Air Force Base because uh, uh, Tyndall Air Force Base is in Panama City. But uh, he couldn't eject. And instead of ejecting and letting that plane, that F-15, just go wherever it wanted to go, he ran it into an empty plot of trees. It's the same thing. And uh, I reiterate that. Of course, I wait until the later stages of training. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to scare people You're off. You're not scaring them as soon as they get in the track. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm making sure that they know that, you know, I, I make sure they're, they're, they're comfortable and they're doing well and stuff before mm-hmm. I start telling them, like, the dangers and you know, I don't want to scare anybody away, but this really is, it's a dangerous industry. 
I, I, I was in that one wreck. Um, I've witnessed my fair share of crazy things, which probably everybody that drives here and has. And uh, it's, it's just part of the job. You know, look around, know what's going on. Leave yourself an out. Uh, be preemptive. Um, always know what other vehicles are doing around you. Like I work with my students, like I'll test them and say, look at that car. What's that car about to do? Oh, I don't know. And then three seconds later, the car's cutting us off. Oh, how'd you know that? I can tell because I'm looking at what the driver's doing. Granted, I'm watching the windshield as well. You have to be able to multitask Mm -hmm. with your eyes. It's very tricky to be able to do that. But I've been in three major accidents, one in a CMV, two in other in vehicles that I was not driving. So I am very cautious on the road. Like I always want to know. We got hit, me and my friend got hit head on by a drunk driver in a Jeep Wrangler or no Jeep Cherokee. And uh, he literally ramped off of my friend's Grand Prix going about 55 miles an hour. That one put me in the hospital too. Mm. So I look at everything that's going on. I'm constantly moving around. And uh, and I think that that saved me probably quite a bit um, in some certain situations. So yeah, it's probably avoided other yeah. instances. Yes. Yeah. And I know just talking to plenty of other drivers, um, yeah, you see a bunch of crazy stuff out there, and you've yeah. got to be on the constant lookout and be yeah. prepared. And uh, adding that experience in there helps. Yes, as yes. well. And and sometimes there is no substitute for that experience. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's a, you know, it's not a. This is a tough industry, and a lot of people don't cut it. I love driving, but I hope eventually my driving career turns into a maybe sitting in this office somewhere career, <laughs> but, uh, uh, maybe driver manager or load planner or something. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's kind of what I ho- I'm hoping for. Uh, I've I've driven enough. I'm kind of getting to the end of being out there on the yep. road. So it's a tough one, and I I, I want to say personally that I appreciate you and and the rest of our drivers and being willing to make that commitment and, and handle that responsibility. Cause it's a big one. Yeah. And, uh, appreciate what you guys do. Well, thank you. Appreciate you. you. And Jonathan, thank you so much for this conversation. This oh, has yeah. seriously been probably one of the most real exchanges that, that w- I've been a part of here. Awesome. And, uh, I just really appreciate your, your honesty, your openness and, and candidness. I think, uh, my honesty, you know, I, I don't hide my past. I share it openly with people because, uh, I think it shows people that um, there's always hope and you can overcome really anything. I mean, I'm living proof of the addiction, the wrecks, uh, the troubled home, uh, being homeless. Um, I'm, I've kind of lived through a variety of craziness and I've made my way out of it. And, uh, you know, it's anybody can do it. So if somebody's struggling out there and they listen to this, I hope they have a little bit of hope because – they can do it. Yeah. So, well, I think maybe God's got something planned for you and just, you know, I think so. Some other, other things in store that you need to stick around for. And yeah. I look forward to, uh, reading the book eventually Oh yeah. on, on your life story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need <laughs> to, I will write it and I'll come get your signature too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. But, uh, I know you've got some deck work to go do here and I'm uh, looking forward to it. I, but, uh, I know you got to get some stuff done. So I, I want to let you get on out of here, but, Again, just really appreciate you taking this time and and, and just yeah, having any, a, an awesome conversation. Yeah, I, I appreciate getting to learn more about you. Anytime, anytime. That's Thanks. awesome. Thanks for inviting me. 
You've been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Nussbaum Transportation. Nussbaum is an industry leader in over-the-road freight transportation. For more information on Nussbaum's award-winning truckload services and top-paying driving careers, go to Nussbaum.com or NussbaumJobs.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Terminal Exchange. New episodes arrive every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts and share a little love by writing us a review. Then go deeper into each exchange or listen to previous episodes at our podcast page, terminalexchange.org.